I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. Today, a cure for investor fatigue. Last week, I think we almost rushed through this, and I got a bunch of emails from people that said, thank you for talking about this topic. And I wanted to revisit that a little bit today because it is really, to me, it's my, it's my own cure for all of the bad news in the world and, and how difficult the bad news makes investing. And I just know it helps. So I wanted to go through it today. We almost rushed through arguably the most important topic in investing that nobody ever talks about, and that's yield at cost. What is, what is yield at cost? So it's basically what you're currently getting or what the yield is today on the original amount of money you put to work back when you put it to work. And in a world where it's hard to find 4 and 5% dividends, it's not so hard to find 2.5% dividends that turn into 4s and 5s after only a couple of years. So I want to dive into some examples that'll remind us just how powerful dividend growth can be over just a few short years and how it can have a massive impact on the amount of money you can spend once you stop working a job and, and allow the investment capital that you've saved and saved to start paying the bills. By the way, I, again, I'm, I won't bury the lead, but all the bad news I'm about to go over, here we are finished the first quarter of 2022, and you know all the bad news of 2022, Still pandemics, nuclear threats, war, Russia, Ukraine, 1970-style inflation, the highest gas prices you and I have ever seen in the history of the world. S&P, what was it? Down about 3%. I'd call that a scratch. I'd call that a scratch. But I, I have been seeing some real fatigue because if you think about what we've gone through, just as humans, think about what you and your husband or your wife have gone through in the last two and a quarter years, almost two and a half years. It's been, it's been rough and it's been, it, it's hit markets and we've had a lot of market turmoil. We had a, a black swan pandemic that started January, February of 2020. And then in, in the midst of the pandemic, we had a, a bitterly divided election that was kind of the gift that just kept on giving. That didn't end right away. So much so the cable TV, cable TV news viewing, and in a lot of areas of social media, time spent cratered like we've never seen before. If you, if you look at the numbers from 2020, so from 2019 to 2020, which was a big media year, it was an election year, Fox News viewership was up 40%. CNN viewership was up 79%. So this was a 2019 to 2020. But by 2021, you and I basically had enough. Like, that's it. I don't want to deal with it anymore. No more TV, no more social media. And viewership, and I'm telling you, this is specifically about TV viewership, just fell off a cliff because we were just tired of dealing with all the bad news. Fox Business down 47% viewership. CNN viewership down almost 41%. These are not, these are not little marginal moves at the market. This is just people stop watching TV. 
Fox News down 35%. MSNBC down 30%. Even the financial channels. CNBC was down almost 20% viewership. Just this glaring sign that Americans and investors, I mean, 20% drop in viewership on the financial channels, just worn down and worn thin. Now throw in, here we are in 2022, and again, we know that the first quarter ended without a whole lot of real damage by the time we ended. Now, we were full correction mode in the middle of the first quarter of this year, but recovered towards the end of the first quarter. Now you got to throw in the highest inflation we've seen in almost a generation. Gas prices that we've never, has never been higher, peak of ever. A Russian dictator-led war on Ukraine. And now, if that's not enough, a yield curve inversion. Mm-mm. What? Wait, 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 what? What's a yield curve inversion? Well, we're going to talk about that because it's, again, the next, just the latest scare line that you've seen if you've been watching any sort of financial news. I think it's even made it into the mainstream news. The anonymous indicator on Wall Street says recession is coming. So you take all, we take all this in and no, no wonder I've been hearing this. Shouldn't we just sit this one out? Should it just go to cash? It just can't even, I don't know, can't, it just, can't we just wait in cash for a while until the world settles down? Here's the problem with that: is that that will never happen. There will never the world will never settle down. It's not going to happen. We we if we get a lull, and God willing, we we will get a lull in the fear. We're going to move straight to something like this is one you may not have heard about yet, but it's coming. Big weather. What's that? By the way, big weather is an emerging scare line uh, that's that's always in the forecast. There is because there is always a physical storm somewhere in the globe. Every single time you look at the map, there's one of those swirly looking hurricane things that's coming. So it's going somewhere. It's either headed towards you or it's a precursor to something that's going to eventually head to you. The only, and so, so again, if there's ever a lull, I, I can't wait till we hear of the next like big weather because you know that everything has died down. There's not a lot to scare you except for the next big storm. So the only, the only answer that I know is to, to how to, to be a good investor and get through all of the, this obstacle course, this very difficult, deadly video game that we play every day as investors, is to just have some sort of, some sort of plan that has a simple goal and an investment policy that sticks to that goal. That's it. That's all we have to do. And for me, that's just, let's generate, how do we generate this much or as a plan, how do we generate X amounts of income in retirement from all of our investment sources? That's, that's, that is the simplified version of I've got to have this much. That's the plan. Can be as simple as that from my investments. And the, here's the portfolio that's going to do it. You add it to your social security, maybe a pension, maybe some other income that you have like rental income or part-time work and you stick to that. And you know, so think of it this way. And an always rational plan in an always irrational world. Now, when I when Jeff Lloyd and I were talking about this today or yesterday, he said, "You know, an always rational plan. You know what the acronym for that is? AARP." Wow! And I said, "I'm not even going to bring it up, but I could. Of course, I love acronyms. Of course, I'm going to bring it up. But think of it this way: and all we always have to have just a rational. We always have to have." a rational plan in an always irrational world. It's just that simple. And that's the only way we survive this thing together. 
So what's that plan? Well, it's pretty simple. We, we, we need a diversified portfolio with multiple asset classes that all pay us some sort of income. Dividends and interest and distributions, and that can be dividend stocks, dividend growing stocks, bonds that, by the way, are starting to pay a little bit more these days because interest rates are going up. Sky is falling, but wait a minute, what's the good side to that? Oh, we're going to get more in interest. That's okay. The, the perennials like pipeline companies and REITs or real estate investment trusts that also pay out steady cash flows and, and distributions. What does that all do? It adds up to a portfolio yield, hallelujah, and a portfolio yield that should stay entirely more stable than the value of your overall holdings. Because remember, we're, we're, we're focusing in on a rational idea, steady income. That's pretty rational. Now, speaking of steady income, uh, we've been getting a, a bunch of awesome calls on, we're going to call it the Retire Sooner Hotline which I think is just easy to remember. And I want to go to the phones and answer some of those questions. By the way, the Retire Sooner hotline where you can call in with your questions. And we're going to go to one right now that has to do with income from dividend producing stocks. It's a really good question. But the number is 800-805-6301. So if you have any sort of question, whether it has to do with yielded cost, dividends in general, interest in general, looking at bonds now that interest rates are going up, or if it's just about a 401k, I've got to roll this over. Is this a good idea? What are all the new rules around rolling over 401ks that are brand new as of 2022? Uh, what about a conversion or a Roth conversion? What about a lump sum amount versus a pension? Which one's a better deal for you if a company's offering you one of those? These are all, should you pay off your mortgage or not? Or, or do it today or wait? Where are the areas you should pull from in order to pay off the mortgage? or areas not to pull from to pay off the mortgage. All, all questions that our audience loves to hear us talk through. So happy to take your calls. And of course, 24-7, you can call into the Retire Sooner hotline uh, for, with your questions. Again, the number 800-805-6301. And if you can't call right now, you can leave it at any time. It's 24-7 hotline. Uh, that you can leave a message and we'll get to it right here on the show. Again, 1-800-805-6301. We're going to start with a call from Scott, uh, Scott Davis from White, Georgia. Hey, Wes, just uh, listening to your radio show and you talked about how difficult it is to find dividend paying stocks that are paying enough dividend to justify the risk, I guess, as part of your comment, but um, they're great stocks like Agency, uh, Ayers Capital, and other stocks in that real estate investment trust um, category that pay great dividends, 9 10 11%. And just curious your take on uh, why you would stick with a 1% or 2% dividend stock that may grow their dividend by 10%, but, you know, it's still less than a quarter point when you look at it. So, um just uh, curious as to your take on that. Love your show. Thanks. So what? A, what an awesome question by Scott because it, it it's rational to think why if 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 it's hard to find three and four percenters, but there's higher payers out there. Why wouldn't we just use them? He may, he used the example of agency and heirs capital. It's actually A R E S capital. Were the, were his two questions. And these things pay a bunch, 8, 9, 10, 11% kind of that range. So think 10% range. 
And he's saying, hey, I'm curious why you would stick with two and three percenters when there's 10 percenters. Totally logical question. And the first answer I would say, and I've pulled up these charts here so I can go through some of these numbers. Remember the game we're, we're playing is a, t- a game of total return. It's not just income. Total return equals growth plus income. And we don't want to sacrifice our overall total return just for the highest, highest income. A 10% dividend might be great, but not if it's paired with a 20% loss. And that can happen. The examples of the couple of stocks that he asked about, again, I'm not saying buy or sell any of these necessarily, but just pulling them up and looking at them. The first one was agency, which is a, it's a, it's a type of company that pays out a huge dividend. It's 10% plus. Now, if you look at the chart, though, over the past three years, the price has dropped 26%. The dividends have offset that. So really, the total return, even though it's paid a lot per year, almost 10% a year for the last three years, year over year, you're basically money flat because the price has dropped about what it's returned to you in dividends. Same same with, as another example, AT&T is another really good example. Over the past three years, the dividend has been in the 7 8% range. Now it's dropped to about in the more like the 4% range. But if you look at the, the total return because of all those dividends is about 6% over the past three years. But that's only because of the dividend. The price itself has fallen a bunch. So the price alone has been negative about 24%. So, so instead of just get looking for income, 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 I like to look at balance both growth and income. Think equal parts growth and income. One of the dividend ETFs that I look at actually, that I really like and, and, and use a lot actually screen out the highest dividend yielders. Because typically, if you're in, the, let's think about the environment we're in today, we still have really low interest rates. If, you're yield, if you find something that's yielding 10% or 11%, is that how sustainable is that in this world? The answer is usually not not really. And you're going to have some sort of punitive result on the other side. And typically it means the price will go down to compensate. So, so kind of striking this balance. Think of we're all after total return. The formula is pretty simple. It's any sort of growth plus any sort of income. We don't want to just have one or the other, at least the way I think of it. So think equal part growth and equal part income. And that, that can help us strike the balance of this total return, equa- total return equation we're all, we're, all, we're all after. Again, I think of, of a golf analogy, and I'm guilty of this. It, it would be nice to just do a nice 250-yard drive every time down the fairway. Not that long, or even 200, straight down the fairway every time. 200 yards, 220 every time. But it, it, human nature wants us to kind of swing for the fences. Well, and hit a 350 or 400 yard drive and we swing for the fences and what happens the ball at least in my case ends up usually in the woods to the right or the belt line to the right depending if they put up a net or not so now with all of that the the kind of the the, the genesis of today was to try to find a cure for the for investor fatigue because i think back on this first quarter that we just ended and we've the, the gamut of bad news is still here it's still pandemic. We still just had a couple weeks ago, a 17 million person city in China is shutting down half and half, one side one day, one side the other day. So we're still seeing COVID. We're in the middle of, a, of an aggressive war from a Russian dictator to Ukraine, which is exacerbated, not created, but exacerbated higher oil prices. 
we, we've been this this war on fossil fuel for the last many years that we've also talked about here on the show. And we've said that fossil fuel ain't going away anytime soon. Nobody wanted to hear that until Russia started using oil as a weapon to now infiltrate other countries. Now we wake up, or at least part of the world is waking up and say, oh, wait a minute, it is kind of important to have energy independence. So we have all of these issues that are now being, we're, we're being faced with as investors. Uh, now, this past week, we got something called the inverted yield curve. Well, the inverted yield curve means short-term interest rates, which are supposed to be lower than long-term interest rates, kind of go upside down. And that spells something is a little bit amiss when it comes to the economy. How can short-term rates be longer or higher than long-term rates? That doesn't really make any sense. So we're going to talk about the inverted yield curve in just a little bit here. But first, I want to go back to this concept that doesn't get talked about a whole lot. And that's yield at cost is what we started today's program all about. And, and a yield at cost is an, an investment's annual dividend divided by the original amount of money you put in the investment. It, it, the, the math is really simple and you can apply it to any investment. And we're discussing this, though, in the context of dividend paying stocks. And we had a great call earlier uh, that asked about why wouldn't you just find these 8 eight and 10% yielders as opposed to finding 2 and 3%ers that are growing over time? Well, here's why we want them to grow over time. We've already answered why you don't want the 8 to 10%ers. They can be unsustainably high and they could be spell, hey, there's something wrong. But if you start thinking about today's 2 and 3%ers as tomorrow's 4 and 5%ers when it comes to your own yield at cost, it starts to, it, it makes us better dividend investors. The, so there, there's another metric that we talk a lot about here on the show, and that's current yield. Current yield is, is pretty simple. It's just the amount of income you get today divided by what you're paying today. That's very, very simple to figure out. We don't, though, buy dividend stocks just for today's current yield. We, we think about what are they going to yield in the future relative to what I paid for today. And we buy them for their future dividends. Now, of course, we expect the underlying company itself or the underlying stock price to appreciate over time, as well as pay a quarterly dividend. But it, all, it gets overlooked on how much income you're currently receiving today. Here's what I'm getting on my investment in relation to what you started with a couple of years ago, or maybe in, in, in most, in best cases, a long time ago. So no matter where the market is, we got to understand that we're not just investing for yield that we can find today but the cash flow from yield that will grow over time. So I'm gonna, here's a couple of examples. Lockheed Martin is the first example. And I, I've got some new ones from last week as well. Lockheed Martin, let's go back 10 years, March of 2012. Share price was about 90 bucks. Back then, the annual dividend was $4 a share. So back then, if you were buying Lockheed Martin, it was pretty healthy, 4.5%. Again, interest rates were, were a little higher back then. Flat, flash forward to today, current share price is in the 400 plus range. Annual dividend is now over $11. $11 if you were to, for current year, that's what it's currently paying. But if you were paid today's price, it's only about a 2.5% yield. 2.5% doesn't seem like all that much, but wait a minute. What, what, would have your, what would your yield at cost be on your investment back in 2012 if you'd held it this whole time? 
Well, as an example, $100,000 back in 2012. Remember, the yield was four and a half, so it paid you about 4,500 bucks. So your $100,000 got you about 1,117 shares back then. Times $4 per share, that's about $4,500 a year. Today, those same shares, the same 1,117 shares, are paying you $11.20. So your current income is about $12,500. When you look at that based on your original $100,000, now you're getting a 12.5% yield. 12.5% from, Lock, from, from Lockheed Martin. And again, I'm not saying run out and go buy these or sell these stocks. These are just great examples of give it, give it some time and a modest yield can turn into a really significant yield on what you paid. $4,500 in this example on 100000 now has grown to 12500 just in the income. Talk about keeping up with inflation. Now, I didn't even mention the, the price, too. So the price of, of Lockheed Martin, in, from a price return standpoint, up almost 400% as well. Again, I'm just talking about, I really want to look at the, the amount of income. Let's look at one we haven't covered, Pfizer. Let's go back. 10 years to March of 2012. Back then, share price is about 21 bucks, 21.50. It paid an annual dividend of 88 cents. I love it when we go to the cents. It's like, oh, it can't be that big of a deal. It's 88 cents. That can't add up to much. Well, back then, 88 cents was the equivalent of about a 4.1% yield. Back if you bought Pfizer back in March of 2012. Flash forward to today. It really should be fast forward. Fast forward to today. Current stock price about 52 bucks. Well, the annual dividend now is $1.60. $1.60 per share. So the current yield's only 3%. But remember, it used to be 88 cents. That means it's almost doubled. The amount of income almost doubled. Yield at cost, what you go back, think about if you'd bought it back in March of 2012. Now your yield at cost is seven point, almost 7.5%. 7.4%. Now, price return, price return of about 143%. It's been, it's been a long time. Total return about 250%. But here's what I care about. In a world where interest rates are still really low, stock prices are have recovered or are relatively high, that means your current yield, today's yield, doesn't look all that great. But if we fast forward five years, six years, seven, 10 years, today's two or three percenters might be tomorrow's six, seven, eight percenters when you're looking on it from a yield at cost perspective. So it's just such a, this concept is so powerful. Let's look at another one. Let's look at J&J. Let's look at Johnson & Johnson. Let's go back to March of 2012. Price per share, J&J was about 65 bucks. Annual dividend was $2.28. Again, we're talking cents here. Can't be that big of a deal. Well, that meant you got 3.5% yield. 3.5% yield on what you originally invested in moving forward. Today, let's look at it. Stock clo price closer to about 175. I'm rounding here. Annual dividend is $4.24. So again, today's current yield, if you're brand new, step it in and buy in j, j it's only about 2.4%. Doesn't sound all that exciting. But the yield it cost, if you, if you bought it 10 years ago on your original money, now you're getting 6.5% on your original investment. That's, that's why this concept is so powerful. As an investor, we want to stay away from those really, really high yielders like we had a question about. 
it's not all that enticing to find one and a half to two percent yielders. So where we're trying to kind of strike this happy medium is in the two to three percent range today that will over time, if we think of this at a yield at cost basis, we can end up having today's twos and threes be tomorrow's fives, sixes, and sevens over time. By the way, of course, this, this applies to ETFs as well. If you buy an ETF today that has a yield that is only 2 or 3%, doesn't mean that if there are dividend growers inside of that ETF, that it can't also do the same. That Doesn't mean that it can't do the same thing that these individual companies, as just examples, have done as well. Uh, your calls into the studio, the Retire Sooner hotline, your questions of anything you can think of, the number 1-800-805-6301. You can call right now or you can call anytime throughout the day. It's 24-7. That's why it's called a hotline for your questions. 800-805-6301. By the way, if you want to find the Money Matters team, you can find us online at westmoss.com. W-E-S-M-O-S-S dot com. Those, if you have questions, you can email them. They come straight to me and our team. If you'd like to just get together and say, hey, I'd like to get together with you, Wes, or your team, and w- whether you're in the Atlanta area or Tampa or Phoenix, or if you want to just do a Zoom anywhere in the country, you can say that too. So you can find us at wesmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S dot com. Contact button, upper right-hand corner. They, those emails come straight to me. And our team, we'd love to hear from you. We're going to go straight to the Retire Sooner hotline for a question, 800-805-6301. Yeah, hey, uh, I got a question. If there was three or five things that would be considered critical to educate and inform my kids about investing and financing and all that stuff in the stock market, what would they be? Three to five, putting me on the spot. But I can do, I can always do at least three. In my mind, I think in threes. And what what I would tell any younger person when it comes to investing and what would make you successful in doing so over time? Because we know it's not easy or else everybody would be wealthy. And we know that's certainly not the case. It's the exception, not the rule. And I would say a couple of things. I tell my own, own kids this. One, you've got to own, think, think of this as not, I think our the younger generation thinks of things as stocks and meme stocks and cryptocurrency and things that happen wealth over, overnight doesn't 90 in, in all of my years wealth doesn't happen overnight it happens over time so one i would say you need to think of it not as stocks but owning not owning stocks owning businesses and we're not owning stocks or we're not owning markets we're owning businesses we want good healthy businesses that can survive with products or services that people actually care about buy and want so it's really about owning, number one, owning businesses. And that turns you inherently into investor. Number two, it does not happen overnight, so we need time. So number two is time. And you need all of those human traits that go into that, which are things like fortitude and patience and something called, almost I would call it investor grit, 
which is the ability to continue to bounce back, continue to bounce back and be able to do things for long, long periods of time. So let's call that actually investor grit. It takes time. And number three, I would say you've got to have a real sense of optimism. There's a book that is actually in our kitchen near the cookbooks. It's called The Rational Optimist. Because I don't know all, I don't know a whole lot of happy retirees that haven't erred on the side of optimism. You gotta understand that, you know, if you look at the, the outlook for businesses, again, not stocks, businesses in America. And this army, I think of our, we, I think of our country as having this army of American productivity, that CEOs think, you know, tomorrow's going to be either good or great, or in my opinion, all of the above. That's tomorrow. We got to understand that we're investing here in the United States, the most profitable, uh, productive place on the planet. Businesses are going to figure out a way to succeed. So optimism but rational optimism over time. Those would be my three. By the way, if you'd like to ask more questions, the number, of course, 800-805-6301. That's the Retire Sooner hotline for your questions. You can find our team at wesmoss.com, W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. Kevin from Tucker. Uh, yes, good morning. I, I have a question um, this is regarding my 401k. It's 60% equities and 40% bonds. So my question has to do with the bonds. At this point in time, 13% of my bonds is in long-term and 87% is in in intermediate. Now, I was wondering if that is a good mix to have, particularly these days with inflation being on the rise. Uh, So it would be really useful to know maybe what type of mix of bonds I should have. Kevin, I, I think I know what prompted this. It was a discussion around rethinking the good old-fashioned static 60-40 portfolio that has garnered so much investment momentum over the years because 60% stocks, 40% bonds have kind of been this perfect partner. They've been this wonderful marriage. Anytime stocks would go down, bonds would go up. And anytime we would have a rough patch during bonds, it was okay because stocks were going through, going to the moon. And it's been this really nice yin and yang, this really nice marriage between the two. 2022, 2022 is the first time we've really seen that relationship break down. Why? It's because the 40 of what our caller just asked about is going, you're going the wrong way. And we remember the relationship between interest rates and bond prices. It's like a seesaw in the playground. It's like a seesaw in the playground, meaning that when interest rates go down, like they have for 40 straight years, prices for bonds go up and up and up and up and up and up. Yeah, you get less yield year after year after year and income steadily came down or interest came down, but it was okay because your bond prices just kept going up and up and up. It's the seesaw effect. Think when one end goes down, the other goes up. Well, that relationship, and this is why I think this is, the, this is the most massive. We think about pandemics and wars and all the things that have happened to impact markets and the economy. None of that, oh, none of that compares to this, what I would consider this seismic shift in financial markets, which is 40 straight years of rates going down and being eventually low, 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 low to zero to now going the other direction. Now, I don't 
know how long that'll last in the other direction. Certainly can't see out 40 years, but certainly over the next year or two, the Fed is hell-bent on trying to tame inflation. And the only way they can do that is by raising interest rates. Raising interest rates puts the brakes on the economy. Higher interest rates for mortgages. Of course, we know it makes houses more expensive to buy with a mortgage. Higher car, uh, auto loans, higher credit card rates. All of those things are a headwind for economic growth. And the Fed is way behind on inflation. We've seen the highest inflation in 40 years, so we know they have to raise interest rates. In fact, we're going to talk about what's called the inverted yield curve that we're starting to see here now in 2022 in a little bit and what that says for markets. But in this case, this is really a question about a 401k that has 40% in bonds. And that's okay because I still believe in having fixed income or bonds because I still want stability. I still want, if we remember the dry powder principle, where we want at least three years worth of safety assets in relation to my spending money. More is fine. And that might be fulfilling this particular dry powder principle. But here's the problem is that when he breaks down the kind of bonds, they're not short-term bonds. They're long-term and they're intermediate term. So they're in the middle of the seesaw or they're at the very end of the seesaw. They're not short-term like short-term bonds that would be towards the fulcrum. And that to me is the very problem with a lot of these good old-fashioned static 60-40 portfolios that, are, that, that became so common over the last 40 years. Because if we have intermediate term bonds, so think of well, what, what are the ranges? Well, we know that bonds go out to 30 years and even there's even bonds that go out longer than that. And we have bonds that are that mature within months. So think of a, a, a three-month to a five-year as a short-term bond. Think five years to call it 15 years as intermediate and then think 15 to 30 years as long-term. Well, the vast majority of the bonds that that he, they're in this 401k, in this 60-40 balance, are pretty long-term. At least they're in kind of intermediate to long. And we know this. Think of a, if we, we know that long-term bonds have longer durations, and we know the formula for every 1% rise in interest rates, we see a drop of an equivalent duration of a, of a bond portfolio. So let's just, and I don't know the exact mix here, but let's say the duration on this portfolio is, call it 10, with this mix of intermediate and long-term bonds. Well, if rates go up 1%, that means that bond portfolio could go down a full 10. If rates go up by 2%, that means that bond portfolio could go down by 20%. Wait a minute, whatever happened to the safety of bonds? So in this world where we've seen the seismic shift of things headed higher, the the 40% part, first of all, you can make a case that it can be less than that in today's world. Maybe it's 35, maybe it's 30. So that's one way to look at it. But it's not just that. It's the composition of the bonds that we own today. And a lot of these old 401k plans have intermediate to long-term bond funds as a default option. And it's pretty easy to get stuck in one of these things. And I think we can look up in a year or two from now and say, wait a minute, whatever happened to these, what are supposed to be safety assets and why are they down so much? What, what happened? And I think it's a world that has been lulled to sleep. Investors for 40 years is a long time. 
Rates going down, prices going up, rates going down, prices going up. Bonds have been easy, easy, easy. Well, if the Fed gets their way, and they're they're very adamant about it, they're very adamant about it right now, and and we see interest rates go from a quarter of a percent to a half, and then one, and one and a half, and then two, which could take a good a good amount of time. It could take a year and a half, two years, three years. But over that whole period of time, it's going to be a real headwind, particularly for intermediate, but really for longer-term bonds. So anytime I hear that in a portfolio, it makes me want to just, it makes me very nervous. So I would say the 60-40 is less of an issue than the composition of that 40. So what I would do is within that 401k, I would go back into my 401k account. I'd go to the investment section. I can visualize kind of going through this. I'd click on investment options. And I'd see, are there some shorter term bond options? Are there some more stable value options that don't necessarily have, they're not bond-like funds, they're just a, almost a money market that pays a, an amount of interest within the 401k. That's what I would make sure that at least if I'm going to own 30 or 40% in fixed income or bonds, I'd want it to be not intermediate to long, but mostly more short. I want shorter term fixed income, shorter term bonds. I think maybe some intermediate is okay, but I think we have to be really, really careful about that, at least for the next year to two years as the interest rate cycle is moving higher. All right, I think we have time for, for one more question. Uh, go to the Retire Sooner hotline, 800-805-6301. Hey, this is Molly. So I have um, been blessed and have a good working job. I have maxed out my 401k. I have a small business on the side and maxed out the SEP. Um, so what do you do with the extra money? I had done some, put some in a long-standing IRA, and my accountant had a fit because of tax uh, ramifications in the future. So what do I do with that extra money? Thanks. I love Molly. I, Molly's doing great. She is, it uh, sounds like she is maxing everything out. I love that her CPA, it's, this is so funny about CPAs. If you're a CPA, don't shoot me. But I love that CPAs will, will look at something and say, we've got tax, because you've got tax eventually in the future, everything's bad. Don't use an IRA because there's tax in the future. Well, what about saving some tax today? So Molly, just be careful with your CPA who's having a heart attack over future taxes. Eventually we have to pay taxes, eventually. What we're trying to do is defer them until we have a lower tax bracket. But there's almost this default setting in America that the only way you really save money or the only place you really save money is in a 401k or a retirement account, an, an IRA, individual retirement account, or a Roth IRA, Roth retirement account, retirement, retirement, or a SEP, simplified employee pension, or a simple, one, they're all retirement, retirement, retirement. And it, it's almost as though that's the only place we're allowed to save wrong. In fact, I see as much or more wealth created outside all those plans. Forget all those plans. No, don't forget them. Use them. Put them on autopilot. Don't forget them. But you have these, these in fact, I would say that our most sacred money in retirement is the money we've saved outside of all those retirement plans. Good old-fashioned brokerage account. A bro Whoa, red lights flashing. A brokerage account. Because when we, when we buy money, or when we buy money, when we, we save and then invest in a good old-fashioned brokerage account, that money is 
we can we can access it in a very tax efficient way. So going back to the what Molly was saying about our her CPA, when we pull money out of a regular 401k or an IRA, we do have to pay ordinary income tax on it. When we pull money out of a brokerage account or an after-tax account, we can look at it and say, wait a minute, well, we've got all these different assets in here. Maybe we have 20, 30 different stocks. Most of them have done well over time, but there's two or three or four of them that are maybe flat or haven't gone up. We want to access money today. Well, we can look at that. And that's called, that is the thought around tax efficiency. Is that if we, if we have an after-tax brokerage account, Molly, that's where you can put your extra money. Put in a thousand a month. And you can still do those on autopilot. Again, we, all, we always think we can't do that on autopilot because the only thing that's autopilot is 401k. Not so. We can just set up an automatic debit from our paycheck into a brokerage account or your bank account to a brokerage account and just have it automatically invested every single month, just like a 401k. But from a tax perspective, maybe even better. Again, check with your CPA. The world, as we all know, has changed so much and your financial situation has likely changed too. How you adapt to that change has a massive effect on your future. Maybe your mom or dad's health has declined. Maybe you recently had a baby or got a divorce or inherited some unexpected money and you aren't sure how to invest it. Maybe you're one of the three million people who reportedly retired early due to the pandemic. Or perhaps you didn't retire, but your company decided to softly push you out the door. It's happened so much at some of America's biggest companies, they've even come up with a new word for it, surplusing. As in there's a surplus of humans and you're one of them. As if downsizing wasn't bad enough. And if you're facing that change, should you take pension payments monthly or a lump sum, a rollover IRA or something else? You may also be stuck in a static portfolio with the outdated 60-40 stock bond ratio that assumed interest rates and inflation would never go up. We are in the middle of the largest financial shift that we have seen in more than 40 years. Tectonic plates are shifting. We've moved from no inflation to hyperinflation, zero interest rates to higher interest rates. If you have questions about how to adapt to that or adjust to all these changes, just give us a call. Or better yet, find us at yourwealth.com. You can meet with a real live person in Atlanta or Nashville or Tampa or Denver or Phoenix, or we can just do it over Zoom. I just had a great meeting with some wonderful folks from Cleveland. Yeah, Cleveland, Ohio. If we can get to know each other over Zoom, so can you and I. So reach out to our team at Capital Investment Advisors, the website, yourwealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R, wealth.com. We had just throw another log on the fire of uncertainty and fear and worry. It's if it's not enough to have a pandemic and then a... a inflation and then a war from in Eastern Europe with Russia and Ukraine. And let's throw in something we talked about two and a half before, right before COVID. And that was the inverted, the dreaded inverted yield curve, which may, I think it's mainstream because I'm always watching financial news and hearing about financial news. And it's a big topic. 
has it has it migrated into the rest of the world? And the answer is, I think it has. I think it already has because I've already seen mainstream type websites that are not just financial that are saying the worrisome sign from Wall Street. And they're talking about this concept of yield curve inversion. Now, don't tune out. I know it sounds ridiculous and boring, the, it, but it's happened. And I'm going to explain it in hopefully not the most boring way. But the, so the treasury yield curve inverted, I'm going to explain this, this past Tuesday. It was the first time since 2019. You can also just call it an upside down, an upside down yield curve. Very simply, all of this means that instead of short-term interest rates being lower than long-term rates, it's the other way around. And in some cases, we see where short-term interest rates are higher than long-term rates. And of course, this all has to do with the Federal Reserve. You and I both know that they're having to get really aggressive in raising interest rates because we have the highest inflation we've seen in 40 years. So after the last week or so, you've been hearing more about this doom or gloom as it's gotten closer to inverting. Is it going to invert today? Is Oh, it inverted. And what that means for the economy? Because... This inversion can lead to, or has has been to some extent, not always, but it's been a, a harbinger of reset, recession. And that's the scary part, and that's what the media is digging into here. But I, I want to give you some, some background. It's not all bad news, and we just need a little insight around this. So let me get more, a little bit more specific here. A, the yield, a, a yield curve in general is really just a plotted line on a graph that shows what bonds pay at various maturities. So on the, on the left axis, the one that points up, we've got uh, interest rates. And on the bottom axis, going from right to left, you've got maturity dates. And typically, interest rates get higher the farther along the graph you go from left to right. So the yield curve in this kind of is, is a graphical line you get when you, when you plot bond yields along a timeline. So one year, two year, five year, 10 year, 30 year, and you connect the dots. And it makes sense that the line should, in normal times, kind of slope from the lower left, kind of curve up to the upper right. Meaning the longer you tie up your money, the more interest you should receive. So 30 yield, 30 year yield. So I'm going to buy a 30 year bond. That should be a much higher interest rate than a five year bond and so on. We see this for, we, the yield curves look similar, whether it's corporate bonds or municipal bonds or treasury bonds or even CDs. So think of it this way, almost in a, in a normal world, think about CDs for a second. A one, a one year, let's call it a one year bond should pay 1%. A two year bond, or I said CDs, but CDs or bonds, doesn't matter. A one year CD, let's say should pay 1%. A two year should pay 2%. And a three year should pay 3%. And so on down the line. And that's the normal way it's supposed to be until it inverts and goes, call it almost upside down. Economists and investment folks look at these charts and they look at them as an indicator of just overall economic health. And over time, they've proven a pretty decent, not perfect indicator of recession once it kind of inverts or goes wonky, if you will. And this past, in this past week, we, we saw that happen. The, the two-year treasury and the 10-year treasury, that part of it inverted. Now, it could be it could be a warning sign that a recession 
could follow or or maybe not so i i'm i'm not saying that the news is news is making a mountain out of a molehill but the media is not in my opinion digging deep to explain those headlines yes we're getting close to this full-blown inverted yield curve so there's it, it, I think it's right to have a degree of concern, but it doesn't mean that a, re, a recession is necessarily right around the corner. So let's talk about these 10, 10 year, two year inversions. These 10 to inversions, so 10, 10 year and two year inversions have preceded every recession since 1970. So the 1970. So that's where it gets a little scary. But here's the catch. But not every yield curve inversion has led to a recession. I'll say it again. This, this whole 10 to two year inversions, they have preceded every recession since the 1970s. But not every yield curve inversion has actually led to a recession. Think of it this way. You, you might sneeze every time you have a cold, but not every time you sneeze means you have a cold. And it's the same here. The yield curve inversion is typically preceded recessions when it does happen by about a year and a half. By the way, there was a yield curve inversion in 1998, so it's not a perfect indicator that there was no recession, or it took more than three years before we got into a recessionary environment. Also, we had a yield curve inversion in 2019. And yes, we did have a recession in 2020, but we know that, that was because of the pandemic and the shutdowns. It wasn't necessarily because of the yield curve inversion. So the, in, unless we think the yield curve all of a sudden inverted because it, it sniffed out or foretold COVID, which we, we know it didn't, so let's be careful to over, not to over-worry around this topic that we're going to keep hearing a lot about in the news over and over and over again over the, over the coming week. Now, of course, even though the media is going to make a big deal out of the yield curve inversion, there's, a, there's so many other things that we need to be looking at. It's not just one thing. So anytime there's any one specific sign that gets advertised as this foretell of doom, we have to be very careful just in, in general, knowing that there's never just one thing. So, we, so we've kind of gotten out of the, we've, we've already kind of established that you, you might sneeze every time you have a cold, but you don't, but, it, but not every time you sneeze means you have a cold. That's kind of what the yield curve inversion is, right? Doesn't mean we're necessarily having a recession. Now, where we do also want to look, and these are other parts of the economy, my favorite, one of my very favorites I don't know if I could always say favorite, favorite. One of my very favorites is another economic indicator that I've also paired with the yield curve inversion stories back when this has happened in the past. And that's called LEI. And I love LEI as, an, as a leading economic, indicators, leading economic indicator because it's not just one thing. It's 10 different leading economic indicators all bundled into one number. And it's a really, really strong, important way to look at the overall health of the economy and where we're headed over time. It's published every month by the conference board. It is used to predict the direction of the, of the global economic movements in future months. So we want to look at leading economic indicators for the future of where this economy is going relative versus coincident indicators or lagging economic indicators. I think of probably the number one best, the best example of a, a lagging economic indicator would be GDP. First of all, it takes forever to calculate. It takes weeks and weeks and months. 
So let's call it in, in January or February, you get GDP of the fourth quarter of last year. What does that tell you about the future? Almost nothing. Really all it does is tell you what it was like several months ago for, the, for an entire quarter. That is a lagging economic indicator. It's really, what did we print? How did we do back then? It's a very old, old number. So many things can change over the course of by the time you get a GDP number. Same thing, you could call employment numbers are almost lagging. Coincident a little bit, but also almost lagging. You get the employment number first Friday of the new month of the past month. So the number is looking at more than 30 days ago. A lot can, can, can change. Now you can look at employment numbers, the employment, unemployment rate, and look at the trend of the employment rate to give you more indication. But when we, when we start switching to leading economic indicators, think of things like this. And here are some of the components of LEI or leading economic indicators that all get bundled up in one. Think about average weekly hours in the manufacturing sector. Hmm, all of a sudden we're ramping up how much time we need people working to put things together. That means orders are now just coming in. Could that foretell more work in the future? It might. What about manufacturers brand new orders that have just come in from consumer goods or materials? Oh wait, an order that just came in. Well, that means I've got to still make the goods. I've got to get paid for the goods. So again, we have that's, it foretells more economic activity over the course of a little bit of time. The ISM New Orders Index, manufacturing new orders, non-defense capital goods, building permits. What a, that prop, think of the, the, what a great leading economic indicator. If you've ever built a house, renovated a house, you know that you get a building permit. First of all, that takes like forever, three months, six months, a year. It doesn't. And then once you get the permit, you got to get the builder to break ground and then the builder to show up. And then think about all the money that is going to be spent over the course of the next three, six, 12, 18, 24 months to build whatever you got a permit for. That might, that's probably my favorite. That's a, that is a true leading economic indicator. What I do today puts in motion all these economic events over the course of the next year. You get a bunch of builder permits. That means we got a lot of activity. We know it almost has to happen over the next year. As opposed to, hey, I just let's check out what GDP was for the fourth quarter. Well, again, might as well be opening up a history book. So think of leading economic indicators in this range of positive 10, really good, to negative 10, really bad. Right now, Leading economic indicators are in the seven and a half range. They're at the top of the range. When that starts to go negative, if or if it gets to the zero line, and we have a yield curve inversion, though that does have a 100% track record for spelling recession. We, so I will get nervous for recession when we have both of those red lights flashing together. And right now, it's only one, and I'd call that one an orange light, and the other one is still bright green. So right now... From what I can tell, looking at yield curve inversion, looking at leading economic indicators, a very robust economic indicator or, or data point tool, I just don't see recession anytime soon. And I think that is my bottom line for today. As much as we hear about pending doom in this economy because of this yield curve inversion, just remember, we're going to go beneath the headlines here and understand what's really happening. And with that, you can find me and the Money Matters team. Again, remember, I just published, getting a lot of momentum this year, my new book, What the Happiest Retirees Know. 
what do they know? 10 Habits for a Healthy, Secure, and Joyful Life. You can find it on Amazon. And you can find our team at uh, easy to do so at wesmoss.com. W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. Those emails come straight to me and the team. And we'd love to hear from you. Hey, y'all. This is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at wesmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. This is provided as a resource for informational purposes and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. The mention of any company is provided to you for informational purposes and as an example only and is not to be considered investment advice or recommendation or an endorsement of any particular company. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing involves Risk, including possible loss of principal. There is no guarantee offered that investment return, yield, or performance will be achieved. The information provided is strictly an opinion and for informational purposes only, and it is not known whether the strategies will be successful. There are many aspects and criteria that must be examined and considered before investing. This information is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment, tax, estate, or financial planning considerations or decisions. Investment decisions should not be made solely based on information contained herein.